Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace to you, friends, intimate traveling companions of Jesus, the ones he calls Havarim. Not only is uh, the blessing Sabbath peace today, on this day, Saturday, May 27th, um, but it is the Chag Sameach blessing a joyous festival to you. This is the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, as it was known to Jesus. And we are gathering together, and I like to say hanging out um, for biblical purposes. I am so glad you're here. I welcome you as you come. Greet each other in the chat. I'm going to leave it open on this Crowdcast presentation. I'll pause at times so that we can interact, but I want to honor the fact that you are here and that the Lord is with us, and I want to get started with Leviticus 23. Today's um, workshop, seminar, teaching, interactive time together is called our life between the resurrections. That's going to be the emphasis on uh, the living out of what the Father and the Son have worked in. Um, my subtitle here is intriguing, Why Passover Needs Pentecost. So I'm reading from Leviticus 23. And I want you to notice that of all the commands that the Lord God gives. Now, wait. I don't want to move too fast. The fact that the one Jesus teaches us to call our Father is speaking here to his people, who he has redeemed and brought to himself, is remarkable in its own right. And he's giving instruction, Torah. And in the Torah, he's revealing himself as is true of all of his word right through into our lives in the New Covenant. And so in Leviticus 23, he's teaching about the three come up to Jerusalem, come into my presence, pilgrim festivals that he gave to Israel. The second is Pentecost. It's also in the spring, and it's just after Passover. So here he says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after Sabbath, it's right after Passover, from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. We'll touch on that. But you'll notice first there's accounting. Verse 16 of Leviticus 23, you shall count 50 days to the days after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall present a grain offering in the place that the Lord God shows you. I love that word present because he gives us something physically to do and he gives us a place to do it. Come into my presence. Be intentional. Look at, if nothing else, we are obeying this command today just by inquiring of the Lord. Teach us your ways. Show us your face, Father, so that we can be faithful in the Son. We're presenting ourselves. And then this is interesting. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. 
Now, there is not a lot of biblical liturgy or spiritual things to do related to the Feast of Pentecost. That's very interesting. These two loaves are significant. And certainly, they testify to his abundance and provision, but they also foreshadow where we're going to go today, and that is the Pentecost in Jesus, when he will make two peoples one, Jew and Gentile, his plan to rescue humanity. Hmm. Wave those two loaves before the Lord. And then I want to um, skip forward to... Yeah, okay, verse... I'm sorry, it's a little small print. Verse 21, Leviticus 23. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. That's what we're doing. We are proclaiming the goodness of our God. In our time together today, I want you to be able to ask some questions. I want you to be able to put some comments and reflect. I think the best kind of teaching is that which you can get out of your head and your heart in the moment. Um, and we can discuss it a little bit. I'm going to give an opening prayer here, and then I'm going to go into what is primarily a slide-driven presentation. Uh, but it will be worth your time. Now, again, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because there is... My goal today is for us to see the big picture and to come into an understanding in, of what we already know in fresh new ways. Think of it like this. You know, I, I love to say this. The festivals are a tutorial teaching his story. The salvation of the one that we call God. And interestingly, they come every year. In the Bible, there's not a sense of, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> because what we're striving to know is God. Everything we know, he's given us. Everything we know about him, he's revealed. But those are only entry points into the profound and the depths and the heights and the width. So every year we come around and we remind ourselves we rehearse his story. We relive our place ongoing in what he's doing on planet Earth. So that's amazing. So we rehearse once a year at the very least these big biblical truths that, again, I don't think I'm going to tell you something you don't know. And really, that's not the goal. <laughs> the goal is to frame what we do know accurately and be able to see the big picture and enter into it more fully. So again, if you're, let me just pause. If you're showing up, uh, great group this morning. Thank you for being here. I want you to be able to greet each other in the chat. And we're going right in to today's presentation. So, the important thing that we need to know, now we're not going to back up and go through Passover, but if you remember or if you're just getting here from Leviticus 23, the idea is to count 50 days from the Passover. The Passover, of course, is a biblical festival celebrated each year in the spring, and it rehearses and relives the character of God displayed 
on behalf of his save his his saving works displayed on the behalf of his people Israel. Passover st- tells the story of God's heart to save and how he saves. It's the architect archetype the architect's archetype of salvation. So important is the exodus from Egypt that God has his people define themselves. And I'll point that out in just a minute by it. But what's more, he defines himself by it. He is the God who saves. And so the story begins with the story of Passover. Well, it doesn't, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's just say Passover, we're familiar with it. And we're 50 days after our Passover workshop, so I'm not going to go back in time, except to say we want to see the movement. We have the salvation of Israel from Egypt according to God's promise. We have the deliverance. We have the overthrow of the evil one, Pharaoh, the enslaving power. We have the liberation of the captives because of the shed blood of the Passover lamb. And we have them coming out of Egypt. Now, let me read these scriptures to you because, and I just want you to hear him, hear them. Again, today is a day for hearing. This part of the story, I think we want to pause and listen with fresh ears. I think Jesus would want us to hear this. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord... Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, Yahweh, revealing himself to Moses in a bush that's on fire but not consumed, his holy presence from heaven manifesting on earth because he is a coming down to rescue God. He says this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. That word know is a very important biblical word that we're going to come back around to. But it's not just head knowledge. It's the head and the heart and the hands all united. What God thinks he acts, he feels, and he acts on. And here he says, I experientially know the sufferings of my people. Again, Exodus 3, watch. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land to a good and a broad land. And then his action statements from Exodus 6, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. I will bring you into the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I am the God who saves you. Passover tells the story. 
And then this is interesting to me, and I, I love to point this out. Um, they are free, and they've crossed, they've passed over from their hovels of captivity. They've gone out from the land of Egypt. And then the manifestation of the presence of God in a cloud, in a, cloud, in a Shekinah, glorious manifestation, which is fire at night that leads them forward, cloud by day that leads, leads them three days and then right to the Red Sea. And there they camp. But wait, here comes Pharaoh and his murderous horde. And the people look at the impassable barrier of the Red Sea on one side. They look at their imminent doom on the other side. And they cry out to God. Now, why am I pointing this out? Because sometimes I believe we lose the concrete nature of salvation. Even in the abstract, when we go to be with the Lord, there's going to be a physicality in our resurrected bodies. We now live a life between the death and resurrection of Jesus and our death and resurrection. This is our life between the resurrections. And the fact that salvation includes a life everlasting is a very precious revelation. When we die, we go to be with the Lord and we will be with him forever. And there's a lot to unpack on that subject. Just know that it's revealed to us in Jesus that that's our destiny. Beautiful. But it must not obscure the reality of God's saving presence at work in our life today, at work in our families, in our faith community, in the broader, around the globe, God's saving activity is at work. Because I want to point out this scripture to you. Moses said to the people, Red Sea, Pharaoh's army, fear not. This is a word for us. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Now, I want you to use your imagination. We're at the Red Sea. We see Pharaoh's army coming, and we hear that God is going to save us. We are not thinking about our eternal destination. We're not standing there going, I wonder when I die if I'll go to heaven. Again, thankfully, that's been revealed to us and secured for us by our king. But in this moment, he says, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. In the Hebrew, that's the name Jesus, Yeshua. I thought they were saved from Egypt. This picture, as they are about to go through the waters of baptism, is a reminder that God's saving work is continuously at work in our lives. So we have salvation from Egypt. We have the great parting of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his murderous horde, his army of destruction, lies, captivity, sin, covered, dead in the waters of baptism. And here the people come out the other side. Now what? Hmm. And I want you to stop and think for a moment. 
We're going to go back and forth between the Testaments and see how they, these festivals connect them in Jesus. But think about this. I, in all my pastoral work with people, sometimes the way we present salvation is exactly that. Come to Jesus, say the sinner's prayer, get baptized, and then now what? You're on the other side of the Red Sea, but you're still in barren land. The reason Passover needs Pentecost is because it tells one complete story. From the Red Sea, he brings his people to Mount Sinai. And there, he gives them his presence. We could say it like this. God's salvation, salvation operation has three phases. Phase one, get them out of Egypt. Phase two, get them to Mount Sinai. Phase three, get them to the promised land. The festivals tell this story. Pentecost commemorates the Mount Sinai experience. So here we are on the Red Sea, at the other side of the Red Sea, and then God leads us to the Mount of his revelation. We can say it like this, and this is a great this is a great line for those of us that are in Jesus. Pentecost completes Passover. One begins a process that is completed by the other. I would say it this way. There are two sides of the salvation coin. He brings us out in order to bring us in. And from Mount Sinai to the promised land, by way of the wilderness. And that we're going to come to because that's going to become a little more significant to us. So there's the overview of the story. Let's talk a little bit more about this festival, Shavuot, that um, completes Pesach, Passover. So we're at Mount Sinai as the people of God. And again, this is the, I want you to see the timing here. Okay, let's back up. Let's back up. Let's just, let's just stop here. Forget it. Forget me for a minute. Let's say we're crying out to the Father and saying, teach us your ways. Show us ancient paths that will ground us and put us on a firm foundation when all around is shaken. More importantly, Father, we want to know you and be known by you. And here he is. He says, two spring festivals where I want you to present yourself before me to serve as at least, at the very least, an annual reminder of the main thing. So again, let's walk it. There's a timeline involved that we highlighted in Leviticus 23. First of all, experience salvation, celebrate the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover inaugurates seven days of eating unleavened bread. So we've begun, we're seven days into it. Those seven days are the first week of a seven week counting amounting to 49 days called the Feast 
of first fruits. Beautiful. And then commemorate and celebrate Pentecost on day 50. Let's fast forward now to the New Testament and the New, Co the New Covenant, the apostolic scriptures. I can't tell you, you probably have been around these things. So I'm probably rehearsing things that you go, well, you know, I kind of been there. Remember, of course you have. <laughs> it's because you're taught of God. But you'd be shocked how many people don't understand these basics. And they are basics. Because it teaches us who the Father is. So it's no surprise at all, although it caught the Jewish people in the first century off guard, and it rocked the disciples and the early church. And most of their writings can be connected to the dynamics that we're overviewing today. This nurtures New Testament faith. Jesus was crucified at Passover. Jesus was raised during the feast of unleavened bread. That began this period that I'm calling be living between the resurrections. I was just reading this again this morning. I like this. This is, this is the end of um, Luke. He says, you are the witness. Well, this is what is written, he, Jesus said. The Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And in his name, repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be announced to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. There's those two loaves of Pentecost, Jew and Gentile. And you are the witnesses for all this. Look, now look, I'm sending upon you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He took them as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he was separated from them and carried into heaven. They worshiped him and went back to Jerusalem in great joy. They spent all their time in the temple praising God. His continuing kingdom ministry for 40 days. Luke goes on to say, he showed himself, this is the book of Acts, chapter 1, to them alive after suffering by many proofs. He was seen by them for 40 days during which he spoke about God's kingdom. Hmm. And that's when he told them to wait for the promise again. And he was lifted up while they were watching. A cloud took him out of their sight. They were gazing into heaven as he disappeared. The ascension of Jesus. Back to the biblical pattern laid out in the book of Leviticus. Jesus died, first day of Passover, raised during unleavened bread, during the counting of first fruits, because he is the first fruit of the resurrection. He continued his kingdom ministry. And then on day four, 40, he ascended. Now, this is an amazing thought. I want to just spend a little bit of time with it. Um, even in our, our creed and our um, theology talk, we talk about the ascension of Jesus. And that is right and good. 
Luke goes on to say, well, the angel says to the disciples who are watching, he's going to come back the same way he went up. But there's so much more to the story. Remember, the counting is still going on until the feast, the festival of Shavuot. Jesus went up. What happened then? He was enthroned. There was a coronation, celebration, the likes of which everything we do by way of pageantry pales in comparison. Starting in Revelation, read it and see it with fresh new eyes. The Father enthroned and installed His Son as chosen king. The psalmist, the prophets, the writings all looked forward to this day. Yes, the advent of Jesus. And also, we were just reading in Luke, what his death and resurrection accomplished in a cosmic perspective. I was just doing this with third and fourth grade graders last Sunday and they were captivated by the idea. They got it. It was really so simple and right in front of them as we looked at some of these texts that Jesus has been installed. My king, my chosen one, he rules and reigns. And then that beautiful picture from the book of Revelation. By the way, if you're interested in the book of Revelation that'll capture the Hebraic perspective, connect the Testaments, and really do justice with Jewish apocalyptic literature, then I invite you to come to jcstudies.com, go to our video courses, and take the uh, video course by Ron Herms. And one of the things Ron points out, this is just beautiful, the book of Revelation paints the picture of Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yes, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king. He, the king rules as the lamb slain and raised again. This is a picture of our life between the resurrections and his sovereign power at work in the world today. Remember the father said, I know their sufferings. I've seen their afflictions. I've heard their cries. Something so amazing about this great God that he's bound up in our lives. And so we have it there. The counting continues. And on the 50th day comes the Holy Spirit. What a remarkable thing to watch how these testaments connect. So let me give you a couple of uh, things that are food for thought here. These are, new, these are testament connections between the Passover Pentecost pattern then and now. Sinai happened because of Passover and the blood of lambs had been shed. Zion happened because of Passover the blood of the perfect lamb had been shed. At Sinai, there was a visitation from on high in the sight of the, all the people, the whole nation of Israel. And by the way, 
um, the sages of Israel rightly teach that that manifestation of God's presence at Sinai was done at a neutral location because it was for all peoples. Whoever wanted to come was invited. And there was a mixed multitude out of Egypt that were there as well. Sinai, a visitation from on high in sight of the whole nation. At Zion, in sight of nations gathered from all over the world. These are beautiful. At Sinai, fire came down on a mountain. Zion, fire came down on the people on the holy hill. At Sinai, God spoke and Moses interpreted to the people. At Zion, it's the spirit indwelling empowers speech in languages so that all people can hear. And then I want you to write down these texts because it's fascinating. Exodus 32, 28. Exodus 32, 28. There, after the sin of the golden calf, which is pretty much our role in the story, whether it's the fall or whether it's after the fall and after the redemption and salvation. Hmm. But in there, it said that 3,000 lost their lives that day to stop the flood of evil and idolatry that, that sought to consume the people and metaphorically take them back into captivity. 3,000 lives. Now look at Acts 2.4. 4, 4, four says about 3,000 people were added. Sorry, I missed, misjudged the reference when I wrote it down, but here it is. 3,000, another one of these amazing parallels. About 3,000 lost their lives as a result of the sin of the golden calf at Mount Sinai. And that number again appears in, after Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, about 3,000 were added to the kingdom that day. A remarkable, remarkable connection here. And I was reflecting on this, you know, when we talk about the coming of the Spirit, one of my passions is for us to just back up, slow down, and point by point think through the, the priority activity being revealed in the scriptures. What do I mean by that? Well, we have 2,000 years now, particularly 1,000, even the last 500 years specifically, of writings regarding theology or pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit based on the scriptures. But for the, the, the fledgling church, here's another parallel. The nation of Israel was birthed at Sinai the people of God, the kingdom people of God, the church was birthed on Mount Zion. For them, much like the Red Sea experience, it was an experience. And I want so much for us to get back there, not so much seeking an experience, but just opening ourselves up to the reality, Lord, I believe that Pentecost completes Passover. I believe that the point of giving your spirit at Pentecost was that is a vital part of my salvation on the other part, on the other side of the Red Sea. 
My personal story is I met Jesus. I heard good preaching in a large congregation. The Spirit of Jesus came on me, convicted me of my sin, convinced me of the character of the Father, and brought me, Jesus brought me to himself and introduced me to the Father, and I experienced a spirit outpouring. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. I just talked, and it was as if there, there was this washing going on just through my head and out my heart and hands, everything evil, everything crud, every stain of sin, every bad memory, breaking the power of sin. At that time, I was drug addicted and drug addled, and it was all this cleaning, flowing, warming sense, and I've never been the same since, and I've reflected on and been trying to apply that lesson ever since. I tell you that story because I it captures what happened on that day of Pentecost that the prophets foretold and that the prophet Jesus said, wait, and it'll come. When he ascended on the 40th day, I think the disciples knew something special was going to happen on Pentecost. They were immersed in these things, but they never could have anticipated what it would be until the Spirit filled them in the same way and ignited the scriptures in their thinking. And so a lot of what we see in the New Testament is Spirit-inspired rethinking uh, the faith of the Old Testament, the Jewish roots of the way, the truth, and the life. And I told you I was going to tell you a little bit about my Friday night or my Wednesday night story. I did this, I have a seminar. It's, it's different than this, but it's the same. It's just, it's part one, part two, and it's very impactful in this way. I tell this story, the story of God, and you can hear a pin drop. And honestly, and I'm not overstating it, tears people nodding, talking to me. And in the conversation, I always open it up for conversation saying, I knew these things. I just didn't understand them like I do now. So even the church is impoverished without being able to know the great story of God as he has told it. So again, that they can ground their faith. There is a very this world aspect to the telling of Passover and Pentecost, which does not neglect the otherworldly. I would say it brings heaven to earth in a way that gives us confidence and ignites our trust and our obedience. And I saw that play out again just this last Wednesday night and I wanted to share it with you. All right, so we've talked about this big outline of Passover to Pentecost in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I want to, I want to continue to parallel those things in four blessings that are a result of Pentecost. Four blessings. This is the takeaway 
These are the things that I want you to muse on. This is why I believe coming around to these festivals, at least annually, is important. Um, because, the, like I said, it's the tutorial. It is the ABCs of our faith. Um, it's not so much that these are the um, that these are simplistic. Again, God's making Himself known in ways we can understand. Think of the Day of Pentecost and the Spirit proclaiming, just like in Leviticus twenty-three on Pentecost, proclaim. They proclaimed. We proclaim these things today. They are deep. They are wide. They are high and they are impactful. I want to reflect on four blessings that happened on Mount Sinai that also happened on Mount Zion and are at work in your life today. The first blessing is this. There on the Mount at Sinai, the Father forms a redeemed people. This is Exodus 19, not on your screen. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Peter, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We could read Exodus 19 like this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Satan, sin, and death, and how I bore you on eagle's wings because of Jesus and brought you to myself. The first blessing of Pentecost is the Father forms a redeemed people. In my experience, you and I have been trained in, intensely to be individual about the way we view our life, and, and that comes right over into how we view our new life in Jesus. Salvation becomes very private, personal, individual-oriented. But the view of Scripture from heaven's perspective, it couldn't be more reversed. <laughs> yes, God has found me and you as an individual. What has he done? He has brought us in to be his family. We are, know you not that you are children of the living God? That is what you are. You have siblings. You're not only reconciled to the Father, but you are reconciled to one another. And the amazing thing is, this people that we've been forged and formed into, and it goes through all the history of humanity. It has a cosmic perspective. We're part of an ongoing people of God that we, we draw on their history and their faithfulness to encourage us and to encourage one another. But not only that, here we are in our individual place. We are part of a movement, God's family, around the world. Again, let me go back to those fourth graders. I said, you guys, think about this. If Jesus had stayed, everyone in the world would have to find him, go to him in one location. 
but because he went up and sent us his spirit, now Jesus can find each of us in the place we are and bring us to the Father and unite us together. And there was a hush. And these fourth graders were leaning forward, listening. I said, that's a good plan. And totally unrehearsed, they said, that's a good plan. This has tremendous implications for us. Jesus, in his prayer that he taught us to pray, it was a communal prayer, our Father. It's us, it's we language. Um, our psalmists and songwriters need to learn this. It's okay to say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. But how about the second verse we say, thank you, Lord, for saving our soul, making us whole, forgiving to us, your salvation, so rich and so free. But in that prayer, Jesus says, Lord, forgive us as we forgive. Forgiveness is the power of the kingdom, and it's yielded, it's wielded intentionally. If we are out of fellowship, and we need to be reconciled because we have a ministry of reconciliation. And we need to see our local communities of faith with fresh new eyes. I understand. I understand it's hard. We just had a small group at our house and I was reminded last night and I was reminded, um, you know, we're pretty much all special needs when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and getting these things. Um, we're all still pretty egocentric in the way we view it. We're not really very other-oriented in consciousness. I think you know what I mean. I'm not being condemning. I'm not pointing a finger, I'm being transparent, but we've got to master community for the sake of the gospel. What draws people is behold how they love one another. We, we offer an alternative to human life. We are the new creation people that show what God's intent for humanity was. We need God to cleanse us of our pettiness and we need to rise up and do everything unto the king, and for the sake of the king, see his work at one another. So here's a parallel. At Sinai, he took a ragtag group of slaves, and he formed them in to his people. And at Calvary, he is still doing that today. And it's interesting to me, and I, I want you to grasp this thought. I told you, um, from that point on, they, the people of Israel were to be known as we were the ones who Yahweh brought out of slavery. Exodus 20, beginning of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Deuteronomy, 6, uh, Deuteronomy 5, 6, new generation, giving of the Ten Commandments, exact same language. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of of Egypt out of the house of slavery. We need to be telling ourselves that which is true. He, our Father is the Lord our God who brought us out of the captivity of sin, Satan, and death through the work of the second Adam, the risen Son of God, Jesus our Lord and Savior. We have to have this consciousness. This really feeds the idea that we're a people with a redemptive purpose. 
We once were slaves, now we are children of God. The second blessing of Pentecost there on the Mount of Sinai, he gives them a redemptive purpose. Listen to his language here. All the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's Exodus 19. All the earth is mine, but you, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why? To reach all the earth. Listen to this language. Peter picks it right up. I think what's so beautiful about this is once, you're, once you see the bigger picture, you realize Peter wasn't pulling stuff out of thin air. Neither was Paul or any of the gospel writers, any of the disciples, male and female. There's the Bible of Jesus caught fire in the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit. So Peter can write, you are a chosen race, same language, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We opened with Leviticus 23. At Pentecost, you should proclaim. We looked at Acts chapter 2. They proclaimed at Pentecost. Our life between the resurrections, we're a people of proclamation in deed and word. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. He makes us a redeemed people with a redemptive purpose and the third blessing who will steward his words of life. Deuteronomy reminds the people, the new generation of Sinai, take to heart all the words which I am warning you today. Command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words I've taught you. For it is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. Do you remember Jesus saying that? My words are life. <laughs> Not just truth in your head. They're life for your very physicality, for my new community, for their redemptive efforts on earth. I think we really need to, and I'm going to, we're doing fine on time, but I do need to watch it here. One of my pastoral reflections here is we need to rightly understand obedience and rightly communicate commands to our generation. Ours is a very selfish generation that doesn't want to be told what to do. You're not the boss of me. The truth that, that, that is revealed as we steward these texts these sacred scriptures, is that God is a God of life. He's against death. Therefore, when he tells us right, what to do, it's for the good of everybody. It's for life. When, when he tells us what not to do, it's for the good of everybody. It's for life. And we learn that in the book of Leviticus, and we see it paralleled in the teaching of Jesus and his own looking back on his teaching. And this is carried forward into the new covenant. And I really believe that we need to have that set. We need to be stewards of the word of God that he has given us. And a big part of that stewardship 
is to help people rightly see the character of God. Blessing number four. And when this will close, and I want to make one more observation. And this is greatest of all. At the mount out of Egypt, the Lord God said, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. This is one of the favorite scriptures of the Jewish community even today. And there are hundreds of years of discussion because the Hebrew language is interesting here. There's a way for God to say that I will dwell in the sanctuary. We're talking about his command on Mount Sinai, Torah. Again, we call it law, but here he's giving a clear picture of his, how his presence is going to dwell with the people and how they're going to dwell in his presence, that's what commands are all about, in order that they can be that redeemed people and be a light to the nations. Do you see how this works? So right there in law, which we kind of use in a negative way, is this incredibly positive picture of building a sanctuary so that God could dwell where? In the sanctuary? He wants to dwell in the midst of the people. And the language there lends itself to in his people. And we see that revelation come full circle. Or I should say the handoff is made right into the new covenant, right up to the day of the festival of Shavuot, where the spirit of Jesus is outpoured from the greatest to the least on all male, female, Jew, Gentile, regardless of any kind of label. Those who say yes to Jesus receive the Spirit. And then in the words of Jeremiah recaptured in Hebrews, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's that same language uh, used there in the book of Acts. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I'll remember their sins no more. There again is our self-definition. Our identity is children of God who received the mercy of their father, whose sins are not remembered or held against us, and who protects us from the evil one in an ongoing, powerful way. Those four blessings of Pentecost. We are formed into a redeemed people. We are given a redemptive purpose between the resurrections. We are stewards of God's word. We're caretakers of his reputation. And he dwells in us and with us. But I am going to wrap up our time together with this particular application. And again, it's a pastoral reflection. And it completes our presentation. Right now, brothers and sisters, we live between resurrections. I've said that several times, but it bears repeating. What do I mean? We live between the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the first. And in that revelation, he helps us understand we will live forever. But we haven't got to that forever point. We need to die. And when we do, we will be raised. In the meantime, 
the power of resurrection, because it was the Spirit who raised Jesus, has entered into time and space. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gives himself for us. I like to put it like this. The Bible speaks of God as a God of, who created us for blessing. That blessing was, um, there, an impediment to blessing was our independent, wanting to do it our own way, separating ourselves from God through disobedience, the fall. And now we are separated from God and we can't even we can't even maintain correct thoughts about him. He's got to break in and reveal himself. So the narrative tells an ideal and then a problem-solution model. God, and he didn't just save in Jesus. He saved right there in the Garden of Eden, and then it's written large in the Exodus from Egypt. He is a God who saves. He's the solution. So the problem-solution model tells the story of humanity. But wait, the Bible, specifically to you and I, has one more part of the story that if we don't get it, it's kind of like we're on the other side of the Red Sea after the big deliverance, not knowing really what's next for us. And it's this. God redeems us. That's the solution from the problem. And then he plants us right back amidst the problem as the solution, working through us to reach others. We're in the world, but not of it. Why is that so important? Because if we don't grasp that we are living in the world, but we're not of it, then either we're going to we're going to separate ourselves from it and be no use to the people around us, or we're going to succumb to it and be no use to the people around it. We are God's solution in time and space. He is working salvation in our life in an ongoing basis, delivering, rescuing, healing, delivering us from temptation. That's why we repent. We constantly turn towards him. But I think there's a picture that is really important, an Old Testament picture that's really, really important and helpful to us here. And this is the thought I'm going to leave you with. Off, after Mount Sinai, the children of Israel enter with all the, the, the sanctuary. They've got the promises. They've got one another. They have the kind of presence of God leading them. They enter into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Now, promised land language is like kingdom language. For us that are in Jesus, the kingdom has come, but is not yet consummated. The promised land has come, but is not yet consummated. Bringing us to the Father is salvation. It is kingdom. It is promised land. That's where our hearts belong, in fellowship with the Father. But we have it now. In the wilderness is the perfect picture of our life in Jesus. Together, we are a community 
on pilgrimage. We're following the cloud in our generation to live the kind of life that he presented for us, experiencing tastes of the life to come. That's why it's very important when we say, in Jesus we have eternal life that has an after-death life component, but it has a current solution amidst the problem, life dynamic going. I hope, my prayer for you is that just the simplicity of going through this resonates with you in fresh new ways. You don't have to know all this. That's why I, I love to do the festivals once a year. I love to teach these workshops because it helps our discipleship stay grounded. You don't have to know all this. You need to live in the solution. And the Jesus roots of our faith, his scriptures, help empower the blessings of Pentecost today. The last thing on my outline before I pray and we're out is uh, my neighbor Bob has, my neighbor Bob sits out, our house is directly across the street from his, and he sits out, and he's in his mid-70s, he's a Marine veteran, and he loves to come and sit in his chair uh, all day long. I can see him out my office window, and I like to go over and sit with Bob. He's broken in health, he's fading in his mind, and I, every time I'm with him, I just think, the things that I've had the privilege to learn, Bob, belong to you as much as they belong to me. And every day in every way, there's increasing opportunity to just talk to him about God as the creator, the care for the world, what he's done in my life in Jesus. Bob doesn't have to know all the background here, but he does deserve to experience the new life through me and I feed on the scriptures which feed on the character of God revealed throughout time in the people of God and in the life that he encourages us to live. So I pray that this has been encouraging to you to that end. But I want to close with this prayer. Father, stock our minds with the remembrance of your victories your resurrection ways among your people, that when we encounter danger or difficulty, we may confidently trust your power to save us in Jesus Christ. Amen.